0: You know, recently we spent a lot of time in the book of Romans. And in that book of Romans, we really went through very methodically over eight weeks how important the gospel is for our personal salvation. That it is by faith alone we are justified by God. Nothing that we do but all what He does for us, that we are granted that through our personal faith in the Lord Jesus. But I was recently listening to some teaching on the gospel from Matt Shander from the Village Church, Texas. And Matt was going through my favourite passage in the Scriptures. Um, You might think it's obscure to be your favourite passage, but it was 1 Colossians, sorry, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And he was highlighting how, in fact, the gospel is bigger and broader than just our personal salvation. Which, to me, is thought, hold on, the gospel is always a personal thing, an individual thing. But he highlighted the fact that it actually is much bigger. And so I've borrowed some of his teaching today because I thought it was so good um, that I think it's well worth us to have that fully rounded picture from the of the gospel which is more than uh, Romans gives us so as we begin let's pray dear Lord Jesus we thank you for this blessing we are that we do have to be together in your house to worship you and to to listen and sit under your word and this morning I pray that we would be able to hear and listen to you through this teaching and uh, that Lord you would be glorified and praised today and always. Amen. Well, I wanted to say, first of all, that the gospel is not some kind of past event that has happened once in the past. You know, that, that, that it's not like something we look back on as the door that we walked through to become a Christian. But the gospel is much deeper than that. It is something that we are standing in right now. It's not just a past event, but it is the thing that marks and makes our lives as Christians. The gospel isn't just a past event, it is our present reality. The Bible is clear about what being a follower of Jesus is, right? It's really clear. It's being a follower of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus... Is being a follower of Jesus. Right? So if you think back to your question, it's like, oh, you know, it, it, it's not looking back and saying, I was baptized once a long time ago, right? And so I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, right? It's actually a present reality. You are a follower of Jesus because you are a follower of Jesus. How do you know if you are a follower of Jesus? Because you answer the question: Am I a follower of Jesus? The answer is pretty easy, yes or no, right? It's either you are or you aren't. And what we discover is that as a follower of Jesus, there are some evidences that are born in our lives. We call those fruit, because Paul used that terminology in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of your life being lived as a follower of Jesus, it will produce some things. Those things are called fruit, And the fruit really is being that I hate sin and want to follow Jesus, right? That's, it's very basics, that's fruit, right? So Christianity is, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, I'm in a relationship with God through his work and that I am to follow him with my life as best as I know how in any given moment. And, you know, life might be messy, It might not be exactly going as we would like. We might not be where we want to be in any given moment, and that's okay as long as there's a Jesus is my Lord, I'm pursuing him as best as I can, and I'm trusting that the Spirit of God is going to continually work on me for the rest of my life. That's the depth of the Gospel. It goes deep in each of us. But there's also the amazing breadth of the gospel, and that's what I'm going to be preaching on today. Now, our our understanding of the gospel is mostly understood as a personal application. The gospel is the power that saves us as individuals. That's completely true. Our individual conversion is how we most often understand it. And that's not wrong, but it might be incomplete. Because here's the good news, God is redeeming everything, everything. The good news of the gospel is that God has bound the enemy and is taking all that is rightfully his back, which is everything. The gospel is bigger than just our individual personal conversion, You know, Adam and Eve, when they're in the garden, were given what's called the cultural mandate to fill the earth and subdue it. So going back to Genesis and and Eden, Eden was ordered for human flourishing. The Garden of Eden was ordered for human flourishing. It had the presence of God there and was ordered for our flourishing. And they were given the cultural mandate to have lots of babies and to take that order and spread it to the whole world. And since that day, pretty much that, that's kind of what has happened. I mean, if you think about it, there's over 7 billion people right now on the earth. right? That has happened pretty much, right? We have built cities, we've built governments, we've subdued the earth and have filled the earth. Now what we believe as Christians is that when sin entered through our rebellion, it fractured that order. And what has followed since has been sort of bent, it's been bent towards sin and not towards worship of God. So the gospel not only saves individuals, but begins to redeem and reform And restore everything that is broken from society to the cosmos. For our joy and the glory of God, we have been made salt and light in our world and by our faithful presence are meant to push back what is dark and establish what's light. And we should never get bored. We really shouldn't get bored because... The purpose for which we work, live, dwell and play has on it the eternal significance of belonging to the kingdom of God. But on top of that, we carry with us the visible representation of the defeat of darkness. You know, the Bible paints a bigger picture of the gospel than just our personal salvation. So if you've got your Bibles, open them to my favourite passage in Scripture, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And we can follow along with that this morning, which it reads as this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All things were created through him and to him. Now what we have here is a picture of the authority of Jesus Christ. All authority is his He's before all things. He predates all things. And all things, everything that was created, was created through him and for him, so that he not only is the active agent in everything that exists, but everything everything exists for him and is moving back to him. This is the Jesus of the Bible. He doesn't make suggestions, he has complete authority. There is no court for you to take Jesus to. He is the highest authority. There's no one you can appeal to. He's the King of King and Lord of Lords. There's no authority greater than Him. He is perfect in His authority. This is the God that we serve. And we also see that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Him. You want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. You know, this this all has to do with the presence of God and the purpose of God. You want to know what God is up to in the universe? Look at Jesus. Why did Jesus come? Well, he came not to condemn the world, but to save the world from condemnation you see in the person of Jesus not just perfect authority, but the purpose of God in creation, namely our joy and His glory. Verse 20, And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Now, I'm not sure how many of you appreciate delving into the Greek, you know, the original language in which these letters were written, um, but I did this here because I wanted to get the full definition, the full meaning of this word that's translated English as all. And when you go back to the Greek, you know what all means? All. Everything. All, right? English has translated it perfectly. It is all. All, all. Not just some all, but all, all. And, and it's crazy, right? Because it says All. And it means all. It is crazy, right? Heaven and on earth. All. Visible and invisible. All. Right? God is reconciling to himself in Christ, not just individuals, but everything. It means all. Everything. Even creation is being reclaimed and redeemed on the cross Of Jesus Christ. Now, who likes looking at a beautiful sunrise or sunset? I mean, I see much more of the second ones than I do of the first. I might occasionally catch one of the first ones, like a sunrise in winter, right? If I'm up early enough, right? But I much prefer staying up later, so I catch more sunsets. I've taken photos of some sunsets that we happen at because it happened sort of over the front of our place. And you look at this beautiful picture as golden hues come through it, like everything's littered with gold, right? And then you try and take a photo, and you look at the photo and you think, oh, that's terrible, that doesn't do it justice at all. But then you look back on that photo, like, a few weeks later, and you go, gee, that's a nice photo. And then you think, hold on, I looked at that photo and said that was terrible compared to what it really was, Right? And did you know that as beautiful and as majestic as sunrise and sunsets are, they are not as glorious and as beautiful as they're supposed to be? Why? Because all of creation has been subjected to futility and the effects of sin. All creation, the most beautiful thing in the world, was supposed to be even more beautiful. God is redeeming everything back to himself through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. So yes, the gospel saves us as individuals and we are then all pulled back into the purpose which is to live out and participate in that cultural mandate to cultivate spaces where humanity flourishes. Author and scholar James Davidson Hunter in his book To Change the World wrote this. Indeed, redemption through Christ represents a reaffirmation of the creation mandate, not its annulment. When people are saved by God through faith in Christ, they are not only being saved from their sins, they are saved in order to resume the task mandated at creation, the task of caring for and cultivating a world that honours God and reflects His character and glory." That is the task given to us at creation, where sin fractures what we had built. It fractures our system and everything seen and unseen. When we get pulled back into the life of God through salvation, he reorders us to participate in our original purpose, which is to push back darkness and establish order and light for the flourishing of humanity. I mean, doesn't that sound better than watching Netflix? I mean, we get to live heroically rather than just watch heroic acts. So what might that look like? I mean, life's pretty busy, right, for most of us, you know? Yes, we've just come out of another lockdown and sort of, you know... So anything we do is more than before. So life seems really busy and life will always seem busy. I've never known someone who goes, nah, I've got nothing on, I'm doing nothing. I've not, not got heaps of time on my hands, right? Those people are very rare. Most people will tell you, oh, I've been, I'm pretty busy because we fill our life up with things. And even though we might be doing less, it's still busy. So when are we going to find time to push back darkness and establish order and light. We're we going to find time to do that. Well, here's the great news of the Bible. Right, The Bible is not asking you to add anything to your life. The only thing God is asking you to do in the Scriptures, because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, is to live with a great deal of intentionality as you are living your life. You don't add things, you just do what you do with greater intentionality. Now, God has placed us where we are in this family, in this community, in this church here in the Northeast for a plan and a purpose. So the main thing for us to do is live with greater intentionality. We are citizens of a different kingdom. Isn't that glorious to think of right now? We should be looking at our existence through the lens of that citizenry, the lens of the purpose that I am here is to be a herald of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in life and speech. So what might this look like to live in the purpose that we are created once we become followers of Jesus Christ? Well, today I've got three areas I want to talk about in that regard. The first of all, first one of those is excellence in your domain. Quick question. What's your reputation at work or in the community group that you're a part of if you've retired? If you're not working now or, or don't work, What's your reputation with those that you spend the most time with? It's not an ethereal question. What is your reputation? You know, later in this book, in Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24, Paul writes this. He says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord. You know, so much of our world is geared towards us finding a job or career, you know, or even for those who are retired, maybe even a hobby, that you are good at and that gives you meaning and purpose. But really, that's nonsense, right? Find a job that you can make money at. Yeah, sure, you've got to provide for your family, but let the purpose of that job be to work for Christ in the job. And it's pretty easy these days to actually maintain a good reputation because, do you know what, in our society right now, the bar has been set really low. It's really, really low, right? So it's pretty easy to have a good reputation. So what are some things that you might be able to do to, to, to have a good reputation at work? Well, first of all, it's pretty easy. Don't be obnoxious, right? Don't be obnoxious, pretty simple. What about don't fall in with a group that complains about stuff all the time? What about work hard at work? Now, I reckon if you did just, just those three things, you'd have a good reputation at work. Like the bar's really low, okay? It's not rocket science. This passage is saying that you don't need a job to give you meaning and purpose. Your meaning and purpose is behind the job. You work the job because of your purpose. You know, meaning and purpose is not in our work, it's behind that. And so work unto the Lord. What's your reputation at work? Or in the community group, or anywhere you hang out with people regularly, are you an encourager, a hard worker? Can they count on you? You know, I think we know our reputation with others, those around us, those we spend most time with. How do we push back what is darkness? How do we establish light? How do we reveal the beauty of the gospel? God has you where you are for his plans and purposes in this unique moment in time. But we will have to operate with excellence in our domain that he has placed us in. That's why we are there, because he's placed us there. How do we live out the gospel, rejoin the cultural mandate, rejoin God establishing human flourishing? Well, number one is excellence in our domain. Number two is hospitality in our homes and when we think about hospitality in our homes our minds might think you know of things that are, they are full of right and i'm not sure about you but do you ever watch renovation or cooking shows yep. like those things are fairly you know they're they're everywhere right now and so a lot of images of what hospitality is is being informed by those shows you know fancy you know food fancy decorations fancy decor um, you know, charcuterie boards are all the rage right now, right? right? Most people think, you know, when, when there's, there's, there's hospitality, that's, that's the sort of my, things that come to mind. But if we're not careful, hospitality can become more about how things look and how things are decorated rather than welcoming the outsider because biblical hospitality is terrifying. Biblical hospitality is a meal and a blessing to the outsider. It's interesting that hospitality makes the list of qualifications for eldership. I mean, many of them make a lot of sense, right? Manage the household well, have a good reputation to those outside the church, can't be a recent convert or be arrogant. But hospitality? You know... It's not talking about setting the table and decorations here. Paul is saying you have to open your home, your dinner table to even those who disagree with you to be a space that is inviting, welcoming. Here's a quote from a book called The Simplest Way to Change the World by Dustin Willis and Brandon Clements. It says... Let's use our homes to be micro-representations of that final banquet table, places where believers gather around the food and drink God has graciously provided, celebrating that God has brought us to himself and opened that sacred space to all who are far from him. Let's become relentlessly warm and welcoming because we've been relentlessly welcomed in Christ. Let us become relentlessly warm and welcoming because we've been relentlessly welcomed in Christ. You know this isn't asking you to add a dinner. It's about adding a chair. You know Who might you be able to show hospitality to as an ordinary part of life? You know, how can you push back darkness and establish light and help humanity flourish? Hospitality in our homes is the second way. It's not about saying you must do more and more and more. It's just about adding a chair. As you go, the third one is seek the welfare of the city. You know, in Jeremiah twenty nine seven, the people of God are in exile, and rather than withdrawing from culture, and the prophet said these words. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. What does it look like to seek the welfare of our city here? To seek the welfare of Wangaratta? To seek the welfare of the northeast? Well, why shouldn't we become part of the infrastructure and governance of our town? Why not? I mean, why shouldn't one of us stand even for election to council maybe at the next elections and be a voice of hope in those circles? We should be vitally involved in our community. Why not in decision-making bodies as well? If you're given the opportunity to join anything, why not? And it's not about necessarily having an agenda. It's about being ourselves as we are, lovers of Jesus, being in those spaces with gifts and abilities that God has given us and being there is a way of holding back darkness that is around us. As many Christians, um, as Christians, many of us have withdrawn from engagements such as these because Jesus said, "Um, they hated me, so they're going to hate you too. No one likes to be hated, right? And so... It's a tough spot to ask sometimes, knowing that that's what Jesus said. But if, we've, if we withdraw from seeking the welfare of the city, it's like we've given the city over to those who may not be pushing back darkness for light and may not want to see humanity flourish. You know, there might be some that are wanting peace for the city, but why not and get involved where we can? You know, many of us are already involved in, in groups and organisations in our town and so it's, it's not really adding anything for most, right? It's as you go, how can we bring love and hope with intentionality seeking the welfare of our city? We should not withdraw but engage. Over all of this, let me be clear, is the desire that we reach people with a message of hope in Jesus. That we reach people and that we see people saved. God has revealed himself in Scripture in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that leads to flourishing and leads ultimately to what's best for the family, for women, for children and for men, for the city, for the economy. Remember, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So what happens when you submit to the authority of the one who designed it all? God's glory and our flourishing. To come under the authority of the one who created it all doesn't rob us of life, it leads us into it. And so as we go, Being intentional as we excel in our domain, showing hospitality in our homes, seeking the welfare of our city, that will mean that we will have surface conversations, which will hopefully lead to serious conversations, which will hopefully lead to spiritual conversations. To know people, to to know their names, so that we can go from surface to serious to spiritual to go from contact, to communicate, to connect. Now, how many people have a regular cafe that they go to or a gym or, or a group or, or, or a class? Gym? Yeah. Forget the gym. I have. Yeah, but as we go, we will naturally get to know people's names. If we add intentionality into the mix, if we add intentionality into the mix, then we will get you know, that coffee from the same cafe each week, from the same barista, or do a class with the same people, or go to the same community group each week. If we add intentionality into that, if we are intentional about those serious conversations, can open to spiritual conversations. And that's really important. So those surface conversations with intentionality will lead us to more serious conversations that go deeper, the kind of conversations that you have as friendships grow stronger, and then those serious conversations, if we are intentional about them, can open to spiritual conversations. Those are the moments that we can share the hope of the gospel and create spaces around us for those around us to flourish in the light. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about more than our own salvation. It's about the redemption of the world, restoring God's creation order for his glory and for the flourishing of humanity. It's about restoring hope to the hopeless, planting joy in sorrow, restoring what is broken, pushing back darkness for glorious light. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much that you indeed did come to save the world, not to condemn us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us that intentionality as we go, we would add a chair. That As we go, Lord, we would not only seek the welfare of the city, we would not only show hospitality in our homes, but Lord, we would also extend our domain and that we acknowledge this world is in such deep need of a saviour. We acknowledge that, Lord, this world, so many people of it need hope. Lord, you have authority over all. You go before all. And may, Lord, you give us those moments of intentionality where we can take those surface conversations into serious conversations, into spiritual conversations. Lord, where we can restore hope to the hopeless. Lord, where we can plant joy in sorrow, where we can restore what is broken, where we can push back darkness for glorious light. May you be with us as we go. We pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.